Beneath the clothes, we find a man. And beneath the man, we find his nucleus. Hello, everybody, and welcome to A Hispanard. There is definitely some news this week. I wanted to start out with one that's kind of near and dear to my heart. I grew up with this movie. Uh, it was... It's not a perfect movie, but I got to tell you, every time that I've gone back to revisit it, I've really enjoyed the tone, the pacing. So I guess maybe when you when I say... It's not a perfect movie. It's not a perfect movie for everybody, but it's pretty close to perfect for me in terms of uh, just it takes me back to a period of time in my life and how I felt, you know, about myself and about the world and about my art. And I'm talking about The the Crow. Um, I remember coming across James O'Barr's comic book and it was so bizarre to me the style of the art was a, a little bit on the grotesque side immediately i could tell that there was something about pain and suffering in the the imagery and the kind of the poetic aspect of of the work and uh i knew it was a a, a revenge violent story you know, but the way that it was being played out, it wasn't like any other comic book that I I had ever read at the time. By the time that I got to The Crow, I was already pretty steeped in X-Men and Justice League, Batman, Superman, things of that nature. A very straightforward kind of storytelling. This one was all over the place. In You know, the theme was consistent, but like I said, the imagery was fascinating. And... Uh, there is a <laughs> uh, you would you would call it a cliche there is something about hispanics in america first generation you uh i think something that that a lot of hispanics didn't experience in uh in you know mexico or any other spot in south america where you kind of really or we really sunk up with the frequency of uh, like British depression. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. <laughs> and it wasn't just British, but there's something about kind of a melancholy, depressing, emo darkness that <laughs> a lot of Mexican boys and girls kind of gravitated towards so it it was not uncommon for you know uh us to be listening to the cure the smiths um uh you know there's a any number of other bands around the same uh genre that that you know we just enjoyed listening to and the crow you know an, an american comic uh, had kind of a very similar effect 
And so all that to say when the original Chrome movie came out with uh, Brendan, uh, Brandon Lee, uh, you know, Bruce Lee's son, and to, to learn about, you know, that the movie was being made with his son, that visually it looked amazing, and then the tragedy that ends up happening, which, you know, we all heard about, it felt like in real time, like, and then the decision to, to shelve the movie, and then, you know, not to shelve the movie, but instead to finish it off with digital effects, which at that time was an incredible feat uh, to get done, and uh, and to try to do it to honor Brendan Lee and, and, and create a legacy for him. Uh, I don't know, the movie just hit different. It hit harder than I think it otherwise would have. Excellent performance by everybody, um, you know. But it it became a cult classic instantly. But I think before it had even come out, and I think it was successful in the theaters. I'm not really sure. You know, at the time I didn't pay attention to that kind of stuff, and I've never really gone back to see whether it was successful or not. I just know that I really, really connected to that movie. Not because I had any personal tragedy like that or anything else. It's just part of that, I don't know, Hispanic DNA of the time. You know, you just... It, it, melancholy, sadness, but violence and action. Like, all those things were within my wheelhouse. And uh, I think there was a sense of trying to find out who you are at the time as well. So I think it connected to that. All that being said, you know, to remake that movie... And and they've tried a couple of times. It has never been successful after, mainly because the the remakes were very low budget. That was one of the major problems. Two, you know, not that they had a bad cast all the time, but that combination of writing and directing, the stars just have to align really well for that to be good. And none of the other crow remakes or reboots or continuations were any good well jump forward to a brand new crow movie uh coming out with uh bill Sar uh, skarsgård one of the skarsgård brothers and i gotta tell you i'm not i'm not into it i'm not i can't connect the the first image that they showed just did not i mean it's a movie that is made for modern times, so he has a very modern look. Tattoos all over his body, tattoos on his face, a really funky haircut. None of it uh, connects to what I consider, you know, The Crow. Uh, yeah, this this movie is almost like it was as if it was made by current day committee. Like, what are all the modern day tropes that we can hit you know he, he's a he's a white guy with tattoos all over his body all over his face in love with a black girl you know and obviously they have that that tragedy that happens and so the original director of the first movie has gone ahead and weighed in and i thought this was geek newsworthy so alex pores the director of the classic 1993 film adaptation of the crow isn't happy with the upcoming reboot and criticized the first images that were released of Bill Skarsgård as Eric Draven. 
Corey shared an image on Facebook of Skarsgård sitting at a campfire opposite. Uh, wow. Uh, FKA Twigs. Shelley Webster. And he mocked Skarsgård's appearance saying Eric Draven's having a bad hair day. Next reboot. Thanks. I was saying wow at that name. Uh, Pro... Pores continues to poke fun at Skarsgård in the comments and the reboot as a whole, saying things like, I guess he's supposed to be a bad MOF, uh, MOFO with all those tats and werewolves and skulls on his jacket. He added, well, at least the stills gave me a good laugh. I thought they were going to take a dump on Brandon Lee's legacy for a moment. A lot of fans seem to agree with uh, Pores as they have been very outspoken about their dislike of the images that were shared and the look of Skarsgård. Alex has always been against a new Crow movie being made, and he previously spoke out against it in a heartfelt message explaining why the film shouldn't happen. The reasoning behind his opinion is the legacy of Brandon Lee, who was accidentally killed while shooting the film in the early 90s. Here's what uh, Pro oh, Alex said. Why I think The Crow should not be remade. I was privileged to know Brandon Lee. He was a young, immensely gifted actor with a great sense of humor and a bright future ahead of him. I was also privileged to have been able to call him a friend. Our working relationship as an actor-director went beyond mere collaboration. We crafted a movie together, which, was, which has touched many people. I did not take a film by credit on The Crow. I wanted it to be Brandon's movie because it was and because he would not be able to make any more movies. He brought all his passion to the movie and has lasted as his legacy. It's a film I know he would have been proud of. I finished the film for Brandon, struggling through grief, along with the hugely supportive cast and crew who all loved Brandon. To complete it in his absence, we were imbued with the strength of Brandon's spirit and his inspiration. Not only Brandon's wonderful work as an actor and a filmmaker, but as a man whose humanity had touched us. The Crow would not be a movie worth remaking if it wasn't for Brandon Lee. If it wasn't for Brandon, you may have never have even heard of this poignant little underground comic book. It's Brandon's movie. I believe it is a special case where Hollywood should just let it remain a testament to a man's immense talent and ultimate sacrifice, and not have others rewrite that story or add to it. I know sequels were made, and TV shows, and what have you, but the notion of rebooting this story and the original character, a character Brendan gave life to at too high a cost, seems wrong to me. Please let this remain Brendan's film. Studios don't care about that stuff, though. They were always going to push this reboot through, regardless of all the issues that it had. The Crow reboot finally got made, and I seriously doubt it will be as good as what Lee and, and Proyes delivered. In the reboot, Soulmates Eric Draven and Shelley Webster are brutally murdered when the demons of her dark past catch up with them. Given the chance to save his true love by sacrificing himself, Eric sets out to seek merciless revenge on their killers, traversing the worlds of the living and the dead to put the wrong things right. This version of the movie comes from director Rupert Sanders, Snow White and the Huntsman, Ghost in the Shell, from a script by Zach Bailing, King Richard, and Will, and Will Schneider. Uh, it's based on James Abar's original graphic novel that spawned a previous film franchise. The movie will be released June 7th, 2024. I gotta tell you, I do not see 
any hopes for this movie of making any money. I mean, you know, I disagree with with Alex a little bit. I I think that you could remake this movie and you and a new performer could come in and make it his own thing and it could it could still honor the legacy of, of Brendan Lee while at the same time bringing something new to the table. But just from the images that I've seen, and I hate to say this, but this is one of the cases where you do judge a book by its cover, and I'm judging this one really harshly. This is going to be a definite no for me. Even if the trailer comes out to be halfway decent, it's still probably going to be a no. That I just... Part of the problem is that this movie is made for modern times, modern day audiences, and I think that is the very first mistake that they make. This movie should be set in the 80s. This movie should be indie in feel. It should be made low budget. Everything should be as practical effect as possible. I would welcome some of the things that were original to the comic book that were not in uh, Brendan Lee and Alex's movie. For example, in the comic book, Eric frequently talks to uh, a uh, a crow, and they go back and forth communicating with, with each other. But he also has a spirit guide called the Ghost Rider, which has a really, really cool design and actually almost made it into the movie. But unfortunately, due to budgetary reasons and probably special effects reasons, they just weren't able to get it done. So if you're going to actually veer closer to the comic book and you're going to give us a more comic book accurate and even maybe even make it a little weirder and and more poetic i think somebody could step in and and make something great with that uh but again i think you make it more of a of a time you know a, a specific time movie rather than modern day you know audience movie I think that's where this is a huge failure. We don't need all the tattoos. We don't, and I don't care. I saw somebody online post, oh yeah, for all those crow lovers. And then he posts a comic book where it's not Eric Draven, but that same tragedy and coming back from the dead with superhero abilities, that, that same, uh, circular uh, moment happens to other people as well. So not just to Eric Draven, like Eric Draven, one of the beautiful things about the crow graphic novel is once he finishes his task, he's actually able to rest in peace along with his, the, you know, the love of his life and, you know, the, the love of his death basically. Um, and, and you finish that. And then that event, morphs over into someone else and someone else takes up the mantle of the crow. So yeah, you're going to have different people and but but this isn't this isn't one of those characters. This is the original character Eric Draven, but again, made for modern audiences. It looks like garbage. I I don't think it's going to work out and you know, it's a bummer that they even tried because they miss the the studio misses the entire point of what the movie should be about. On to more geek news. It looks like uh, uh, James Gunn is, at least aesthetically, I don't know whether he is going to do this in tone. In fact, I'm kind of 
I'm off social media in terms of, uh, you know, people putting out spoilers and and being upset about that because it turns out that everything that everybody is putting out, even accounts that are blue check verified, are putting out information that is just pure speculation and wishful thinking and fan casting and not really true. Um, so with Superman Legacy, one of the things that got put out, and I, and I guess it was a quote from one of the actresses that recently just started Madam Web, which was a complete disaster. According to the report of what she said is that she looked at James Gunn's uh, script, saw that the movie is all about Lois Lane and her humanity, and she really liked that take, and so that's why she came on board in in the movie as a hawk woman or hawk girl or whatever you want to call her. I'm going to take all that with a grain of salt because James Gunn just revealed today the brand new logo for uh, the Superman suit. And actually somebody leaked uh, what Superman looks like in the movie, whether he keeps that look the entire movie or not. I'm really digging it. Number one, it looks old school. The the logo, the S logo looks old school, kind of Kingdom Come, kind of, uh, uh, I forgot what the name of it is, but the original Superman, Fleischer, I think, Superman they call him. So it has that, that look. It's very retro. And then the actor who fills out the costume really well is wearing red tights on the, you know, he's wearing red underwear on the outside. And it looks good. It actually looks legit. Now, again, whether he's going to keep that or not, I don't know. There might be some kind of uh, transformation, you know, evolving transition of his costume from when he first starts out to where he ends up for the majority of the movie, which is totally fine. I hope the you know, the design looks great. But James Gunn also went ahead and revealed that they changed the name. So originally the movie was going to be called Superman Legacy. Now it's just being called Superman, which I thought was pretty cool. So I'm going to go ahead and continue to hope and trust that Gunn is trying to deliver something that is appealing to everyone and is just a really great story. I went on a little uh, Twitter rant when I saw that quote from that actress and I basically said, you know, I'll, I'll try to repeat it here, but I basically said, you know, if the movie is about Lois Lane and it's about and it focuses on her, then the movie entirely misses a point. James Gunn misses the point, And this is doomed to failure. You know, the, the whole thing about Superman, a lot of people like Superman. A lot of people don't like Superman. And there's a lot of different reasons for both. Uh, you know, people find him either super boring he's the ultimate uh boy scout or he's too overpowered and he's unrelatable i think if if you're on either camp you kind of miss the whole point of what he is you know and to me anyway the way that i view superman is as maybe the most human you know human that you could have he's definitely some kind of allegorical jesus but without the the divinity without the the ability to to complete the work that Christ completed instead 
you have this very vulnerable alien that is taken in by humanity, loves humanity, wants nothing more than to save humanity because he's in love with humanity, comes to the realization that he's incapable of doing the very thing that he wants to do because no matter how strong he is, he can't be everywhere at once. He can't save everybody. He can't solve all the problems of the world. And then on top of that, he comes to the realization that because he's so powerful, he's going to watch everybody that he loves die eventually. So instead of pulling away from humanity and being above humanity, he completely leans into humanity and he becomes a, a great lover of humanity, enjoying every moment with humanity, you know, ma making as close connections as he possibly can while at the same time feeling awkward trying to walk between two worlds, you know, th this world of trying to save people and help people and then trying to live among them. And so to me, Superman has always been a really great character. I, it, it's He's the perfect person to put in danger because you can put him in danger at any time with any of the people around them. He's incredibly compassionate. And uh, so, so I really hope that Gunn understands that and that that is the route that he's going to, you know, towards. I, I think also some of the best parts of Superman are Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen and, you know, his boss at, at the Daily Planet and the, all the various relationships that he, he has and the people that he deals with. I think all those things are the best parts of him because you get to see what he's like under all these various circumstances. It's one of the major issues that I had with Man of Steel and with the Snyder universe in general is, to me, those characters were Elseworld characters. They were interpretations of what those characters were, but not actually who they really were or the essence of them. Because Superman does not kill. And I don't care how many times people say, well, he's killed in the comic books. You don't understand. Different writers definitely take liberties with Superman, but there's also been things like Elseworlds and alternate realities and, you know, uh, what if scenarios within the comic books. And in those cases, yeah, Superman does kill out of some weird necessity that, you know, that gets written up. But the the, the main Superman character that everybody grew up knowing and loving does not kill. That's just not what he does. It's not his nature. It he is in fact he's he's able to go against how easy it would be for him to do that. And it's the same thing with Batman actually. There's a you know a great uh scene between one of the Robins that got murdered originally by the Joker and he comes back to life and he he's a nemesis for a while of Batman, but eventually they kind of reconcile. But anyway, he finally captures the Joker and he starts telling Batman, Hey, like, why didn't you p kill this garbage human being? I can understand maybe not killing him for me. I can understand that when he killed me, you didn't seek revenge on him, but he's caused so much, you know, 
heartache and loss to the city and he's killed so many people and he's just he he's inhuman you know and and it's so easy for you to stick to your morals and to stick to your your rule of no killing you know and so this is why i'm going to do this for you and batman's like no you don't understand it's it's quite the opposite it's actually too easy for me to give into my nature i want to murder him the fact that i don't the fact that i don't become like him that i don't use his methods that i don't you know hunt criminals down and that i i i don't murder people uh that's the whole point the whole point is we have to have a standard we have to have some line in the sand that makes us different from the villains and that is the whole point i i think throughout the years you know as, as writers and artists and and editors got self-indulgent and and that really is the the reality of that these people got self-indulgent and they took the original ideas and the original concepts and they said you know this is antiquated this is outdated this is you know this is uh we we need to change this up for a modern audience and they completely missed the point of what it means to create things that are timeless and what it means to create things that that have some kind of moral compass and you know a line that is drawn that where you have to be clever about figuring out how to stop whatever it is that's happening so you know with superman there's a phantom zone and that's where you throw the most powerful most evil people they live but it's a prison and you can argue the merits of you know whether that's more cruel or you know it's a cop-out or whatever but my point is these things are being written drawn for children at some point things got so switched over that you know they started writing to an adult audience and forgot these things should be for kids they're like it's a stepping stone into a bigger world it's a it's a way to inspire new artists new writers and you can have comics that are for adults you can have comics that are that are grittier and tougher you can have everything you know the pie is huge so you can have kids comics you can have teenage comics you can have adult comics and you can even have it with the same characters you can have you know superman in all those different scenarios but the problem is you know for a long time the publishers just kind of decided no all the money's over here with these adults we're just going to utterly forget that we still need children to read the read these to be nostalgic about them to grow up to continue to read them and to pass along to their children and you know it, it's a it's a really bad way of doing business and um so going back to you know sorry long rant is my my middle name but uh, going back to gun i really hope that his focus is on Superman, his relationships, and the danger 
that he's in all the time because of them and how to solve these various you know issues that come up in his world that are bigger than life i he, you know he also because him being who he is also makes metropolis a target and yet at the same time if he's not there metropolis can't be saved from some of the big things that happen so it's a catch-22 and that's an interesting point as well but uh yeah so anyway it looks like the new movie is going to just be called superman that's pretty cool so ghostbusters 4 which i am tentatively excited about uh, you know it could it could look good on the surface and it could just end up being garbage the last one was okay it wasn't spectacular but it was it was it was fun you know and it was decent so the new one let me see ghostbusters 4 filmmakers and cast say they'd be happy to return for return for more and they know where the story will go next Ooh. We're about to embark on another Ghostbusters adventure with the upcoming sequel, Ghostbusters Frozen Empire, where we will meet back up with the Spengler family as they travel to New York to battle it out with some new and some classic ghosts as they are haunting the city and the world. This will be the second movie in this current installment after Ghostbusters Afterlife breathed life back into the stories that began in the 80s with Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2. As for whether we will see any more movies in the franchise, this film's director, Gil Keenan, who co-wrote and produced Afterlife with director Jason Reitman, has weighed in on the future of Ghostbusters telling total films. Jason and I really love Ghostbusters. We love these characters, and we would be really happy if audiences were down to keep on keep going on adventures with them. If audiences feel this way, then we know what the next stories are going to be. As for the cast, they also seem to be on board Carrie Coon, who portrays mom Callie Spengler, responded enthusiastically when asked in the same interview if she would be up for more adventure, saying, absolutely. There's something so thrilling about working on these movies, especially as a woman. We're not often asked to participate in the adventure or the physical elements of movies like this. We're often just uh, on the sidelines. So to be thrown into the action has been a real thrill. On top of that, well, it's already going to be in my obituary, so I might as well lean in. <laughs> That's funny. And McKenna Grace, who plays Callie's daughter, Phoebe Spengler, is just as keen being more than ready to put the proton, proton pack back on no matter how weighty it is, she told Film Total, or Total Film. As heavy as those freaking proton packs are, I would gladly put one on again. The proton packs weigh around 40 pounds, but I'm fine with that because it's been a dream come true to be part of this franchise. I love these films. I love getting to be a Ghostbuster. I mean, who are you going to call? This guy. Me. I would be thrilled to see the franchise continue. Ghostbusters Afterlife is a perfect movie to me. I can't wait to see Ghostbusters Frozen Empire when it's released in theaters. I mean, perfect is, uh, you know, it's a, <laughs> it's a overstatement. But it was it was good. It was fun, for sure. Um, let me see here. What else? Uh, I'm, by the way, I'm reading a lot of these from Geek Tyrant. And uh, just throwing in my two cents. Paramount Pictures gives Liam Neeson the Naked Gun reboot, a summer 2025 release date. <laughs> I did want to talk about this because I saw a lot of people online, you know, uh, pooping on the idea that Liam Neeson could possibly step into uh, Leslie Nielsen's shoes. They're like, he's the wrong guy for it. He, you know, like 
they don't know what they're doing. They missed the point of the movie. I will say, again, I, I posted online, I will say that I think the people that are arguing against Liam Neeson in this role are missing the whole point of the movie, in my opinion, because the whole point is that Leslie Nielsen's character was playing the straight man, as they call it, somebody who was not intending or supposed to be funny and was accidentally funny because he was reacting to funny things that were happening around him, like people saying, Shirley, you jest, and he's like, don't call me Shirley, <laughs> you know, things like that, which, if it's written really well, and Liam Neeson plays it 100% for no laughs, just plays it completely straight, it could be an awesome reboot, and I'm hoping that's the case, because I think he can pull it off. Really, it's going to be more about the writing than it's going to be about Liam Neeson's performance. I think Liam Neeson has a has a dry delivery, and he's you know more than capable to uh, of being deadpan. So it really is going to come down to the directing and the writing for this movie. Fingers crossed that it's good because I'd love to see it. That would be awesome. Let me see here. What else? What do we got? So, uh, I don't know how to feel about this for a few reasons. There has been a new report about Deadpool and Wolverine. They brought, uh, or they, they brought, had brought on board an actress named Emma Corrin, and somehow it's been leaked that she's been confirmed to be playing a character named Cassandra Nova. Cassandra Nova is a deep cuts character. It is literally the twin of of um, Charles Xavier. I don't remember the super specifics. I think she was she tried to kill him in in the womb, and he survived that attack. I don't remember what happened to her body, but I think she's like a psychic vampire. Uh, let's let's read a little bit before I, I jump into my memories. It looks like Emma Corrin's rumored role in Deadpool 3 or in Deadpool and Wolverine has been officially confirmed. They will be taking uh they will be taking on the role. Oh great. Okay. So Emma Corrin is a they, I guess. Will be taking on the role of Cassandra Nova, Charles Xavier's evil twin sister. The news was confirmed via the official Deadpool and Wolverine copyright, where Corrin's name is listed next to the, their character, Cassandra. For those of you not familiar with the character, Nova is attacked by Charles Xavier in the womb, only to survive with the goal of getting revenge on him. She hid for years inside her mother's body before replicating his DNA scheme to obtain a body of her own. Yeah, it's a weird character, but one that is going to fit perfectly for this Deadpool sequel. I I disagree. Cassandra Nova made her debut in Marvel Comics' New X-Men uh, 114 back in 2001. She was created by Grant Morrison, who, by the way, I think takes a lot of drugs. And Frank Quitley. And she preys on mutants, and her goal is to use her crazy powers to wipe out all the mutants. At one point, she was re responsible for the death of 16 million mutants through the destruction of of Genosha. In the comics, Cassandra Nova is a Mumdrea, 
a malevolent spirit considered the equal and opposite of a person in Shi'ar culture. She emerged as a result of a cosmic occurrence involving Charles Xavier taking on a physical form in the womb as his twin. The baby Charles instinctively recognized her as a threat, leading to a harrowing battle that ended with their mother miscarrying Cassandra Nova. Surviving as a mass of cells in a sewer wall, Cassandra Nova managed to rebuild a body for herself, all while plotting her ultimate revenge on Charles Xavier. Her vendetta included taking his place and orchestrating the horrific genocide of 16 million mutants by unleashing a giant by unleashing giant sentinels on the nation of Genosha. It's also previously rumored that Cassandra Nova's look in Deadpool 3 will be faithful adaptation from the comics. This means we can expect her to sport a bald head, a white shirt, a corset, and a brown tech, uh, brown trench coat paired with high-waisted tan pants and a brown belt. I believe there was a shot of her from behind in Deadpool 3 or in Deadpool Wolverine trailer. Another rumor says that a chase scene was filmed in the UK with a location designed to resemble New York City. In this scene, Nova was supposedly chasing Deadpool and Wolverine, utilizing her portals as a means of transport. In the film, after facing some professional setbacks while going through a midlife crisis, Wade Wilson decides to officially retire Deadpool and becomes a used car salesman. But when his friends, family, and the whole world are at stake, Deadpool decides to bring his katanas out of retirement. He recruits an unwilling and wary Wolverine, to not only fight for their survival, but ultimately their legacy. It's also explained that effing irresponsible hero Deadpool will change the history of the MCU with Wolverine. Ah. The film stars Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, uh, Colossus, Vanessa, uh, Matthew McFadden as a TV TVA agent, uh, okay, yeah, we keep going, blind AI, blah, 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 all that other stuff. Yeah, I, I have even less hopes for this movie now. One of the beauties of the original Deadpool was it was a very straightforward love story that was told. Things got a little weird and out of hand with Deadpool 2, bringing in Cable from the future, coming to kill this kid that potentially is going to be the downfall, you know, of everybody. I get it, but going into this very strange third act, bringing in obscure, you know, mutants, maybe being able to connect her to Charles Xavier and giving some kind of exposition that explains that really quickly, I don't know, but I'm telling you, having a tough time being in with this movie. Um, the that trailer didn't. You know, it, it it didn't do any any uh anything for me. Now, oof, I don't know. Anyway, so there you go for that. Let's see what else. Jumping over to Marvel news. I hope this isn't true, but you know, the way that writing is going right now, anything's possible. Thunderbolts, which is uh, basically Marvel's version of the Suicide Squad bunch of different villains maybe or former villains in some cases uh, get together to go on a mission that possibly could kill them all or they're not expected to come back from anyway thunderbolts report offers details on lead characters and how the team gets its name 
Some more Thunderbolt rumors are making the rounds online, and this is where I say take it with a grain of salt. The fact that these guys are reporting on it does not make it true. The things that are being said online, I think people are just trying to uh, be the first to a story, even if the story is not true or real. But here we go. Uh, rumors that are making the rounds online and they offer possible insight into the story, the lead characters, and how the team gets its name. Thunderbolts is now in production. So, originally, well, here, let's read this first. The fans are hoping with a lineup of characters like this, the movie will be high point for Marvel Studios. Insider Scooper, can we get Toast? I actually stopped following this person online because... They were revealing too many spoilers about everything, so this could be true. Wow, sorry, excuse me. Anyway, is reporting that Harrison Ford, President Thunderbolt Ross, or uh, Thunderbolt, yeah, Thunderbolt Ross, or Tamiut will not factor into the story. These characters, Tamiut was that gigantic uh, celestial that was frozen in place at the end of the what movie was that the Eternals and that they haven't done anything with since I mean literally it is bigger than any skyscraper I mean it is it's it's as big as a mountain you know as big as the biggest mountain on the planet it is a celestial that is sticking out of the ocean somewhere on the planet in the MCU and nobody has brought it back up which is insane. These characters are two key elements from Captain America Brave New World, and earlier reports have said they will be in Thunderbolts, but that might not be the case. I've heard this from two different sources now, which means we won't see Ford as Red Hulk in the movie. Ross has always been one of the main Thunderbolt team members, and he's the whole inspiration behind the group's moniker, the group's name. It will be a strange choice if they choose not to include him. So how does the team get its name in the film? Well, the Thunderbolts are supposedly named after Yelena Boleva, Yelena Bolov's childhood soccer team, which I guess is going to be some kind of gag. I'm gagging already. Hollywood insider Daniel Richmond also shared some news saying that Bucky Barnes is not the Thunderbolts' co-lead with Yelena. It was previously reported that he would be leading the team. Instead, U.S. agent is said to have a bigger role than Bucky. And in terms of the priority of the story black black widow and the sentry will be the main leads along with uh valentina allegra defante whatever and ghost these are all just rumors but there might actually be some truth to them yeah this, <laughs> this is not looking good in, in my opinion i think it's um i think this movie's going to end up being a big disaster uh which is a super bummer because it's got a great cast for the most part. You know, at least four of the actors are actors that I enjoy watching. So, yeah, anyway, uh, let's go from one disaster to the next. Star Wars The Acolyte star uh, Amandela Stenberg discusses series setting and how it honors the Force. The next live-action Star Wars series that will be coming to Disney Plus is The Acolyte, which is set in the High Republic era. I can tell you right now uh, uh, something about the High Republic era. It has been a complete disaster for Disney. Why they continue to push this thing, I don't know. Disaster how, Alex? I've never even heard of this. 
Exactly, my dear listener. If you have not heard of Star Wars The High Republic, I'm telling you, it's a complete disaster. Something that was originally created for that the YA crowd, young adult crowd, and it came saddled with the message, you know, and all of the modern day uh, storytelling and messages, messaging that you could shake a stick at was turned into comic books, young adult books. Some of them uh, skewed a little bit older. Anyway, the the High Republic has been, uh, the High Republic era uh, merchandise has just been an utter disaster. And again, why Disney Lucasfilm continues to push this, I don't know. The Acolyte, which is set in the High Republic era during a recent interview with C Magazine, I don't even know what that is, series star Amen, Amen, Amandala Stenberg. That's a really tough name to say. It's Amanda, but then there's an L after the D, and then an A after that. Amandala Stenberg offered some, uh, offered some additional insight into the project, saying, in the context of Star Wars universe, it's a time of great peace, theoretically. It's also a time of an institution, and it's time in which conceptions around the Force are very strict. When talking about the Force, which is one of the most important aspects of the new Star Wars story, Stenberg explained how the Acolyte is looking to honor and challenge the Force, she said. I think what we're trying to explore within our show is when an institution has a singular conception of how power can be used, we try to provide a lot of different perspectives and answers to that question. The idea is to kind of honor the ethos of Star Wars and ideas around the Force and also challenge them, hopefully harmoniously. Red flags all around for that entire sentence, that sentence structure. This story is set in the High Republic era. The story is described as a mystery thriller that will take viewers into a galaxy of shadowy secrets and emerging dark side powers in the final days of the High Republic era. A former Padawan reunites with her Jedi Master to investigate a series of crimes, but the force, the forces they confront are more sinister than they ever anticipated. The series takes place a hundred years before the franchise prequel trilogy. The High Republic era is known as the Golden Age of the Jedi, a time when the Ancient Order was at its peak. The series was also previously described as Frozen meets Kill Bill. It's been explained that Steinberg will be playing Force-sensitive twins, and both are of Sith origin. One of the twins will remain with the Sith, while the other will be taken by and trained by the Jedi. The story is said to follow the evil sister as she becomes a Sith assassin who is tasked with taking out a Jedi Master who is played by Carrie Ann Moss. Moss' character is a Jedi warrior who is known to defeat her enemies without using her lightsaber. So the Sith assassin vows to learn martial arts and kill the Jedi Master only using her hand-to-hand combat skills. <sighs> I can already tell you that's that sounds so stupid. The Acolyte is created by Leslie Headland, uh, the, uh, the former, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, <laughs> assistant of Harvey Weinstein. That's great. The eight-episode series is expected to arrive this summer with a rumored release date of June 5th. <sighs> uh, it, I can tell you, 
personally, everything that I've just read, none of it sounds good to me. It sounds like it's going to be, it's a disaster that's already been created and just waiting to be shown. The idea of a Sith vowing not to use her lightsaber, the a Sith assassin, but instead learning martial arts to kill a Jedi Master because this Je Jedi Master is that much of a boss. I mean, it's just, it's a completely stupid concept. I, I don't understand where the writers were going with this, what they were thinking. I, I would imagine you'd want to try to tell the best story that you possibly could. And in fact, a Sith assassin going after a Jedi master with everything and the kitchen sink and that Jedi master still defeating the person. That seems like it would be pretty cool. As opposed to, hey, let's get on even footing here. You're an awesome martial artist. I'm going to become an awesome martial artist. I'm going to try to kill you with my hands. Turns out you have more experience, more time, more knowledge than I do. Uh, so if I succeed, it'll be my pure, stupid writing luck. And if I fail, well, that's the logical way to write this whole situation. <laughs> Maybe Carrion Moss's character accidentally gets crushed by a giant Pepsi sign. I don't know. <laughs> Product placement, right? This sounds dumb. In other news, there is a third Tron movie coming out called Tron Ares. Yay! We're all excited about this, right? Tron. Woo! I don't trust anything that Disney's doing, so I can't be excited about anything that Disney's putting out, even things that I've enjoyed. I like the first Tron for as cheesy and outdated as it is. I enjoyed the second one. I thought it was, you know, a, a nice, straightforward story, nothing overly complicated about it. Didn't break any new ground. The third one has Jared Leto, you know... You make up your mind about Jared Leto. He's kind of like a franchise killer. <laughs> so, I don't know. In other news, I'm going through these quickly. Yay! The creative team of Rings of Power has apparent. They've apparently been signed on for a new contract. And they're in working on season three now. Season two is not expected to come out until next year. But whatever. Yay! More, you know, fake Tolkien crap on the way. For those of you that would be in the know and would care, Richard Lewis, comedian, actor, pretty funny guy, passed away at age of 76. Rest in peace, good sir. Thank you for all the laughs. Uh, speaking of, of older fellas, Eugene Levy has joined the uh, season four cast of Hulu's Only Murders in the Building Excellent show. If you have not watched it, highly recommend it. Super well done. I think he's going to fit in just fine. So I will close it out with this. Uh, I am very, very much looking forward to going to the movie theaters to go see Dune 2 with my lovely wife, Miss A. Hispanard. By all accounts, Dune 2 is amazing. I was actually shocked and very happily surprised by the first Dune movie. I'm not into that dude, Willy Wonka, uh, Char uh, what's his name? Not Charlemagne. I don't know what the kid's name is, but the kid in the movie, I just thought, look, you've got Jason Momoa in the movie. 
who makes all other men look puny and I mean, he's just you know he he projects manliness and he's huge you've got him in the movie but then you've got this little twink boy who is uh supposed to be the heavy of the movie and then you watch the guy act and you go okay i, I mean he's he's got acting chops he can pull it off even though he's got a very frail looking body looks like he's 110 pounds and he's a you know he's a pretty boy he's still able to pull off the acting and and he becomes believable and that's crazy because the first movie was pretty stacked you've got Josh Brolin you got uh Jason Momoa you have Oscar Isaac I mean you got some heavy hitter manly men you know going on there or at least guys that can project manliness when they need to ramp it up and then you got this dude Timothy whatever um, and the dude did a great job so I've been watching people's reviews one of my favorite ones so far has been the critical drinker because his was uh, spoiler free which actually I'm totally fine with if stuff gets spoiled with this movie I hear that it is a visual spectacle, that it is well worth going to the IMAX to go see it. So I'm closing out with, I'm looking, very much looking forward to uh, going to see Dune 2. I, I, I'm not, uh, I, I don't have any necessary expectations that, it, that it's going to be, you know, better than Star Wars or as good as any science fiction that... I'm just looking for the continuation of the first story. The wife and I are going to rewatch it, and then, boom, we're going to go immerse ourselves in. And one of my favorite things, really, is I love going to the theaters. I hope that it's packed. Um, too often, lately, you know, I, I've gone to the movies and when I have. Not that I've gone often, but the times that I've gone, it's pretty empty in there even for a great movie it's pretty empty in there so i'm really hoping dune is packed to the gills and that it's really great and that i can come back and talk about it spoil a little bit of it and just be like yeah this is this is awesome so that is it for this week i hope that these little tidbits helped out and uh that it was entertaining thank you guys once again and as always for being with me on this journey Thank you for listening. Thank you for passing this along and sharing it. Guys, eat your vegetables, drink your water, take your vitamins, get that workout in. Get off your butts. Get it. Get to work. I love you. I will see you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>